STORY IX. CHAPTERS II AND III OF THE MAN WITHOUT A COUNTRY AND OTHER TALES BY EDWARD EVERETT HALE. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. STORY IX. THE CHILDREN OF THE PUBLIC. CHAPTER Two. WHERE IS THE BARREL? "'Where is the barrel this time, Fausta?' said I, after I had added and subtracted her figures three times, to be sure she had carried her tens and hundreds rightly. For the units, in such accounts, in face of Dr. Franklin, I confess I do not care. "'The barrel,' said she, "'is in Frank Leslie's office. Here is the mark,' and she handed me Frank Leslie's newspaper, with a mark at this announcement one hundred dollars for the best short tale of from one to two pages of frank leslie's illustrated newspaper to be sent in on or before the first of november eighteen sixty two there is another barrel she said with five thousand dollars in it and another with one thousand but we do not want five thousand or one thousand there is a little barrel with fifty dollars in it but see here with all this figuring i cannot make it do i have stopped the gas now and i have turned the children's coats i wish you would see how well roberts looks and i have had a new tile put in the cook stove instead of buying that lovely new banner but all will not do we must go to this barrel and what is to be the hook darling this time said i i have been thinking of it all day I hope you will not hate it, I know you will not like it exactly, but why not write down just the whole story of what it is to be children of the public, how we came to live here, you know, how we built the house, and all about it. How Felix knew Fausta, said I, and how Fausta first met Felix, perhaps, and when they first kissed each other, and what she said to him when they did so. Tell that if you dare said fausta but perhaps the oracle says we must not be proud perhaps you might tell just a little you know really almost everybody is named carter now and i do not believe the neighbors will notice perhaps they won't read the paper and if they do notice it i don't care there it will not be so bad as but i never finished the sentence an imperative gesture closed my lips physically as well as metaphorically and i was glad to turn the subject enough to sit down to tea with the children after the bread and butter we agreed what we might and what we might not tell and then i wrote what the reader is now to see end of story nine chapter two chapter three my life to its crisis new yorkers of to-day see so many processions and live through so many sensations and hurrah for so many heroes in every year that it is only the oldest of fogies who tells you of the triumphant procession of steamboats which in the year eighteen twenty four welcomed general lafayette on his arrival from his tour through the country he had so nobly served but if the reader wishes to lengthen out this story he may button the next silver-gray friend he meets and ask him to tell of the broken english and broken french of the marquis of lavoisier and the rest of them of the enthusiasm of the people and the readiness of the visitors 
and he will please bear in mind that of all that am i for it so happened that on the morning when for want of better lions to show the mayor and governor and the rest of them took the marquis and his secretary and the rest of them to see the orphan asylum in deering street as they passed into the first ward after having had a little refreshment in the manager's room sally eaton the head nurse dropped the first courtesy to them and sally eaton as it happened held me screaming in her arms i had been sent to the asylum that morning with a paper pinned to my bib which said my name was felix carter it is very fine said the marquis smiling blandly Revison, said la Vasseur, and he dropped a five-franc piece into sally eaton's hand and so the procession of exhibiting managers talking bad french and of exhibited frenchmen talking bad english passed on all but good old elkanah ogden god bless him who happened to have come there with the governor's party and who loitered a minute to talk with sally eaton about me years afterwards she told me how the old man kissed me how his eyes watered when he asked my story how she told again of the moment when i was heard screaming on the doorstep and how she offered to go and bring the paper which had been pinned to my bib but the old man said it was no matter only we would have called him marquis said he if his name was not provided for him we must not leave him here he said he shall grow up a farmer's lad and not a little cockney and so instead of going the grand round of infirmaries kitchens bakeries and dormitories with the rest the good old soul went back into the manager's room and wrote at the moment a letter to john myers who took care of his wild land in st lawrence county for him to ask him if mrs myers would not bring up an orphan baby by hand for him and if both together they would not train this baby till he said stop if on the other hand he allowed them in the yearly account a hundred dollars each year for the charge anybody who knows how far a hundred dollars goes in the backwoods in st lawrence county will know that any settler would be glad to take a ward so recommended anybody who knew betsy myers as well as old elkanah ogden did would know she would have taken any orphan brought to her door even if he were not recommended at all so it happened thanks to lafayette and the city council that i had not been a child of the public a day before in its great clumsy liberal way it had provided for me i owed my healthy happy home of the next fourteen years in the wilderness to those marvellous habits which i should else call absurd with which we lionize strangers because our hospitals and poorhouses are the largest buildings we have, we entertain the Prince of Wales and Ginny Lind alike by showing them crazy people and paupers. Easy enough to laugh at is the display, but if, dear public, it happens that by such a habit you ventilate your bridewell or your bedlam, is not the ventilation perhaps a compensation for the absurdity? I do not know if Lafayette was any the better for his seeing the Deering Street Asylum, but I do know I was. This is no history of my life, 
It is only an illustration of one of its principles. I have no anecdotes of wilderness life to tell, and no sketch of the lovely rugged traits of John and Betsy Myers, my real father and mother. I have no quest for the pretended parents, who threw me away in my babyhood to record. They closed accounts with me when they left me on the asylum steps, and I with them. I grew up with such schooling as the public gave, ten weeks in winter always, and ten in summer, till I was big enough to work on the farm. Better periods of schools, I hold, than all the modern systems. Mr. Ogden I never saw. Regularly he allowed for me the hundred a year till I was nine years old, and then suddenly he died, as the reader perhaps knows. But John Myers kept me as his son, none the less. I knew no change until, when I was fourteen, he thought it time for me to see the world, and sent me to what in those days was called a manual labor school. There was a theory coming up in those days, wholly unfounded in physiology, that if a man worked five hours with his hands, he could study better in the next five. It is all nonsense. Exhaustion is exhaustion, and if you exhaust a vessel by one stopcock, nothing is gained or saved by closing that and opening another. The old upcountry theory is the true one. Study ten weeks, and chop wood fifteen. Study ten more, and harvest fifteen. But the manual labor school offered itself for really no pay, only John Myers and I carried over, I remember, a dozen barrels of potatoes when I went there with my books. The school was kept at Rosius, and if I would work in the carpenter's shop and on the school farm five hours, why, they would feed me and teach me all they knew and what I had of the day beside. Felix, said John, as he left me, I do not suppose this is the best school in the world, unless you make it so. But I do suppose you can make it so. If you and I went whining about, looking for the best school in the world, and for somebody to pay your way through it, I should die, and you would lose your voice with whining, and we should not find one after all. This is what the public happens to provide for you and me. We won't look a gift horse in the mouth. Get on his back, Felix. Groom him as well as you can when you stop. Feed him when you can, and at all events water him well and take care of him well. My last advice to you, Felix, is to take what is offered you and never complain because nobody offers more. Those words are to be cut on my seal-ring, if I ever have one, and if Dr. Anthon or Professor Webster will put them into short enough Latin for me. That is the motto of the children of the public. John Myers died before that term was out, and my more than mother, Betsy, went back to her friends in Maine. After the funeral I never saw them more. How I lived from that moment to what Fausta and I call the crisis is nobody's concern. I worked in the shop at the school or on the farm. Afterwards I taught school in neighboring districts. I never bought a ticket in a lottery or a raffle. But whenever there was a chance to do an honest stroke of work, I did it. I have walked fifteen miles at night to carry an election return to the Tribune's agent at Governor. 
I have turned out in the snow to break open the road when the supervisor could not find another man in the township. When Sartane started his magazine, I wrote an essay in competition for his premiums, and the essay earned its hundred dollars. When the managers of the orphan home in Baltimore offered their prizes for papers on bad boys, I wrote for one of them, and that helped me on four hard months. There was no luck in those things. I needed the money, and I put my hook into the pork barrel. That is, I trusted the public. I never had but one stroke of luck in my life. I wanted a new pair of boots badly. I was going to walk to Albany to work in the State Library on the history of the Six Nations, which had an interest for me. I did not have a dollar. Just then there passed Congress the bill dividing the surplus revenue. The State of New York received two or three millions and divided it among the counties. The County of St. Lawrence divided it among the townships, and the townships of Rosius divided it among the voters. Two dollars and sixty cents of Uncle Sam's money came to me, and with that money on my feet I walked to Albany. That I call luck. How many fools had to assent in an absurdity before I could study the history of the Six Nations? But one instance told in detail is better than a thousand told in general for the illustration of a principle. So I will detain you no longer from the history of what Fausta and I call the crisis. End of story nine, chapter three.